This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and today you're listening to episode 31. Today, I'm talking with Peter Dunn, also known as Pete the Planner. Pete is an award-winning comedian and an award-winning financial mind. He's a USA Today columnist and the author of 10 books. He's the host of the popular radio show and podcast, The Pete the Planner Show, Pete has appeared regularly on CNN Headline News, Fox News, Fox Business, as well as numerous nationally syndicated radio programs. Pete is also the CEO and founder of Your Money Line and Hey Money. In this episode of the Illuminate podcast, Pete breaks down what's going on with our economy right now during this COVID crisis and gives us some tangible thoughts and ideas on what might happen and I also bring in some listener questions into this episode, which Pete does a great job answering. If you want to hear a deeper dive into Pete's story, you can hear an episode with him that has nothing to do with the COVID crisis and just a little bit more of a broad episode about who is Pete the Planner and what he does. Check out his episode on I'll have another with Lindsay Hine podcast, my other podcast. He was episode 60 over there. All right. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. Please consider checking out our other shows. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine and the Up and Running Podcast. All right, friends. I really hope you're having a good day. Hope that you're able to get out and get some exercise or do something that makes you feel good and move around because I know it's hard being stuck in the house all day, but we sure do appreciate you being here and hope that you can find a little bit of peace of mind from this episode. Enjoy my conversation with Peter Dunn. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Peter Dunn, also known as Pete the Planner. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Hey, Lindsay. It's good to be with you. Yeah, we've done this before and uh, on my other podcast, but this is fun to do it on this platform. And man, you are the guy everybody wants to talk with right now. I know you're super doing all kinds of crazy stuff with with your business. So um, can you give us a brief intro of who is Pete the Planner? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a former financial advisor that uh, in the early 2000s figured out that Really, our behavior is what dictates a lot of our financial paths forward. Now, it's funny to say that in a period of time in which the situation we're in had nothing to do with our behavior or our choices. Uh, But I've spent the last 15 years just trying to solve people's everyday financial problems. There's enough financial planners out there that, you know, help people stack money on top of itself. My job is to fix what's broken in our financial lives. I have an organization that does that. Uh, we serve about 1.2 million people a year. And as of right now, Lindsay, I'm doing the best I can to decipher all of the fast moving information that's coming to us 
via, you know, the stock market and the government and all these sorts of things so people can better understand what to do right now because time is of the essence as people are making really big decisions which will impact their financial lives for years. Okay. I think one of the biggest questions people are asking right now, at least that I've seen, is like, if I have cash on hand, should I invest it now? Is it too late? Should I wait? What do you? What is your answer to that? Well, I, I think if you have, you know, a large degree of employment stability, which means you don't think you're going to lose your job, and you've got three months expenses at least set aside in a savings account, then that extra cash on top of that, yeah, there there could be some arguably some opportunities within the market. But I think what some people are doing are saying, I'm comfortable with $2,000 in my savings, so mm. I'm going to take this extra $5,000 and try to make money in the market, which is a really bad idea right now. I heard you say on your podcast recently, ideally for a time like this, it would be good to have six months emergency savings. And that's a really challenging thing to have on hand. I feel like a lot of people probably don't have that. So um, if you're in the position where you don't have anywhere near that six months, maybe you're close to the three months though, what are some things we should be doing right now with this unknown? I mean, for me personally, uh, I have a lot of unknowns with my business, with sponsorships and things like that, with my podcast and appearances. So it's kind of like, what do we do right now? You know, the best thing I've read this week was uh, one sentence in the New York Times. The rest of the article scared the bejesus out of me, but this one sentence was helpful. It said, one person's spending is another person's income. Mm. And so when you think of it in that regard, is that a lot of people in our community today, people in the hospitality industry, dental hygienists, like mm -hmm. no one's getting their teeth cleaned today, Lindsay. Uh, though, though any profession that relies on consumerism currently isn't receiving income. So that is to say what most people should do, whether you're receiving an income or not, is try to get as lean as possible. And, and that means to look at your bank statement and just say, okay, look, we are actually in the world's largest financial crisis ever right now. I think I can go without monthly massage payments, you know, things like that, where in normal times it's an indulgence or it's an investment in ourselves. But in this time, you know, when you hear your grandparents talk about the Great Depression, those sorts of things, and you hear about their sacrifices, you always wonder what we would be forced to do in that moment. Well, now's the time to actually take a look and say, do I really need nine streaming services? I mean, now is the time for that. Yeah, you know, I, I've been seeing people post about this as well, though, because they're saying, well, those memberships, those gym memberships, those things that I'm paying for, they need my money to keep their doors open, even if they're not, you know, actually open right now. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we have to look out for ourselves, right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? It goes back to one person's spending is another person's income. Yeah. So for people that have stability, all right, so I'll speak for myself for a second. Uh, I'm fortunate to have some stability. I've, uh, I've planned for it. We have a few months of expenses set aside. My income is fine. I can probably keep up those active gym memberships, even though that I still haven't used the gym membership in quite some time, but that has nothing to do with the pandemic. Um, so, but others who have income instability, they shouldn't feel obligated to pay for things they can't use right now because they need the money more. I, I think that gets at the heart of the matter here is that the government will likely come in with some degree of stimulus, which is uh, code for send us money. Isn't that funny? Sending us our own money is called stimulus. But anyway, <laughs> they, will, they will send us money. But the challenge with that is 
there are people that don't need that money, myself included. If I got a thousand dollars from the government right now, I, I don't I don't need it. I would much rather there be a smarter way to distribute the money to the people who have no stability. But what I can do if they choose to not go that path is I can take that hypothetical $1,000 that's coming in and I could do my darndest to determine a way that I can pump that money immediately and efficiently back into the economy to support people in need. But I mean, these are, these are some of the real-time challenges we're all dealing with right now. Okay, so just to be clear, so I understand, this is one of the questions I have from Glenn as well, and you're talking on it right now. Um, the government wants to, is going to give everybody $1,000? Is that what I'm hearing? That's one of the proposals, Lindsay. I mean, it's it's really interesting. I, I don't want to, I'm not going to get political because I just don't get political, but one of the candidates running on the Democratic side for the presidential ticket was a person by the name of Andrew Yang. And one of his proposals was a universal basic income, which means every American would get $1,000 a month from the government to survive. And that was, you know, before all of the pandemic started taking place. Oddly enough, they've now started talking to Andrew Yang (laughs) about this idea um, led by, you know, the GOP led Senate and, 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 you know, of course, the other side of Congress is led by the Democrats right now, but they're trying to figure out what's the most equitable way to stoke the economy. Because when you pump money back into the economy, when you give Americans money to spend, they will restart this engine. That That's what we're dealing with right now. So I don't know if it's $1,000. They're trying to figure that out. That seems to be the most popular thing floated out there right now, but it could conceivably be more than that. Okay, because my impulse would be, I'm just going to save that. But that makes me kind of feel selfish, right? Like, I feel like I should also want to use it to support small businesses, but I'm kind of nervous right now. I would say if you have three to six months savings, uh, then you shouldn't probably keep the stimulus check. (laughs) If you don't, and when I say three to six months savings, sometimes that confuses people. Sure. If your monthly expenses are $4,000 a month all in, like it it takes you $4,000 to live and paying every single bill and every single indulgence, minus some indulgences. If it's 4,000 bucks, that means you need $12,000 for a three-month reserve, right? And you need $24,000 in savings to have a six-month reserve. If that is you, and I know a lot of your listeners are are fortunate to have put themselves in that position, then if you get a stimulus, you probably should get it back out there because that's going to what restarts the engine. I don't know, Lindsay, did you see that illustration, it was a, a visual, uh, a, a video, if you will, where there was matches burning and then one of the matches was out of line. And then that explained how we can slow the spread of COVID-19. Did you happen to see that? I did. Okay. So the, the principle for those who didn't see it, it's always good to describe yeah, visual yeah, yeah. things on, the, on a broadcast. Uh, the idea is to pull a match out of line so it doesn't reignite the next match theoretically reinfect someone else with COVID-19. With the economy, it's the complete opposite. People who are not earning money are pulled out of line. They are the match that is not lined up with everyone else. So when the flame of income and cash flow comes to where that person is supposed to be, the flame extinguishes on the last match that's in line because the other match can't participate. It doesn't have income. What we're trying to do with a stimulus is we're trying to line up the matches once again 
so we can ignite this thing and keep it going around. It literally is the exact opposite of how we're trying to mm. stop the spread of COVID-19. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if we if we have the means, it is our moral obligation <laughs> to do this. Okay. Um, for people who have less financial stability, you know, you're, we are talking about uh, those service jobs. I know a lot of waitresses and, and waiters, people in that industry are really like it's rough right now. And so what are some steps they could take to work toward more financial security if we are to really dip into this recession? I think one of the tougher things for people to get their head around is what's the line between personal responsibility and accepting needed help when warranted. Mm. And I think with that particular industry, um, you know, it has nothing, this has nothing to do with personal responsibility. It has to be um, taking the help that's there for you. I've talked to numerous hospitality workers over the, the last week, one-on-one, -on -one, and I can tell you almost every single one to a T has expressed guilt around taking unemployment benefits mm. because they don't want to be a burden on the system. And Lindsay, man, people shouldn't feel that way. They need the help. That's, that's why we pay into the system. And the goal is to keep them on their feet for three, four months with that level of pay so that we can restart the economy. And so I don't go to the hospitality workers and said, okay, it's time for you to get out there and hustle and find five more jobs. No, for most people, they should take unemployment benefits, cut as many expenses as they can, tap whatever savings they have to bridge the gap. Hopefully the stimulus that comes through will help them bridge the gap. And some of them may have to go into consumer debt in the form of things like credit card debt to make this a feasible situation in the next three or four months. For them, it's not be about being part of the economy. It's a part. It's about the basics of financial survival, which is to pay rent and, and food. And Lindsay, I can't tell you the number of hospitality workers I've talked to that are coming off of a divorce. Mm. And so that means that they're paying child support in the support in, in the face of this, which again, that's an interesting topic right now because yes, a child needs support and the parent that is primarily caring for them needs support. But can you imagine the emotions revolving around that in this current environment? No, I can't. No, I can't. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the hospitality in industry. We have a uh, Airbnb at our house and our back house and our carriage house and um, everybody's canceling, you know, and some people rely heavily on that for an income. For us, it's just kind of like a an extra side thing that we've we've made part of our lives. But some people like that's their livelihood. So, gosh, what are those people supposed to do? It's uh, same thing. I mean, they obviously from an unemployment standpoint, they're uh, they're up the tree a little bit, right? Yeah. Because um, they have some challenges. Ideally, they will have set money aside for repairs and those sorts of <laughs> things for for the properties. And they can use that money in the face of an emergency today. Some of those people may be forced to take equity lines, um, borrow against the equity in real estate to get through this period right now. I think one of the the things we're going to study years from now on this thing is how the gig economy made this worse. You know, there's something beautiful about getting in my car and going picking up people who need a ride from the airport to downtown. I, it's it's lovely. It's hey, I'm going to spend my time making money and helping people out, and, and of course those are ride sharing services. Mm -hmm. But the nasty side of a gig economy, or the freelance economy, or uh, even the hospitality industry right now, 
is then when there's a systemic breakdown of our economy, those people get it worse than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And it's because they adapted to what was already uh, a subpar environment for them financially. The gig economy was born out of um, wages not increasing and people not being covered by health insurance. It is, it's just, it's strange because I'm anxious to see what happens with these types of industries once we do recover. Okay, can you compare this to the 2008 recession? Like what, how is it similar? How is it different? Sure. So in 2008, it was really about people buying things they shouldn't buy that they couldn't afford and corporate America, Wall Street, taking advantage of that fact, selling people things they couldn't afford and then packaging those loans and then trying to make money on those loans. I mean, that is the most simplified mm -hmm. uh, uh, way I can explain a very complicated issue. This is much different because what we're doing is there is demand for goods and services. We're just simply not really allowed to do anything. Mm, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, there, there is a, like, I would love to go pump money into the economy. Lindsay, I really have not left my house in days mm -mm. out of respect for being the match that pulls out of the COVID-19 problem. Right. You know, there's an old book, which I think got turned into a movie called Sophie's Choice. And the concept of Sophie's Choice is you have two awful options. Well, if you try to save one, then the other one, you know, is in peril. Uh, to some degree, to solve COVID-19, we have to tank the economy. And to save the economy, we'd have to expose ourselves to COVID-19. So it, it, I know this is hardly uh, illuminating and or uh, heartening, right? It's, this, is a, this is a big challenge. Uh, however, that's, that's what we're up against. And I think people understanding that will help them stay inside. Hopefully the government will stimulate people's lives for two or three months. And so when the disease starts to die down, the virus stops to spread is what I should say, we can get right back on our feet. That's how it's different, that the fundamental economy is, was okay. In 20 or 2008, it was not okay. The economy is what blew this thing up. You know, you mentioned that it's not illuminating, like it's not like a happy topic. And I, I agree with that. This is, this is not fun. But the reason I'm having you on though is because I feel like you have a... Um, you have a sound voice in this and you're, you're speaking truth, but also with, with the reality that like, Hey, this is going to take us a while, but it's going to be okay. I feel like I really see that in your messaging. Um, do you feel that? Like, when do you think things are going to turn around? Yeah. That timeline has been moving back. So yeah. uh, I originally thought it would be 45 to 60 days. Um, I, I happen to be a type of person that if a scientist, you know, maybe someone who's studied something their entire life says something, I tend to look towards them as opposed to a person that, that didn't do well in high school biology or chemistry that's on Facebook <laughs> giving their opinions. <laughs> so if, if the scientists keep saying, look, you know, this is pushing us back into May and June, then I think it's, you know, a couple weeks after people can open their doors again. Uh, as to when this turns around, and that's why the how the stimulus works uh, rolls out will be will be so interesting. You know, my wife and I talk about this stuff a lot on our nightly walks that we can all still take. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because I think for some people who have stability, 
they too are scared in this. Like I'm, I'm scared, right? I'm far away. I have no shame in saying that, but I need to let the stability we have, um, allow me to share whatever good fortunes coming my way with people who don't have stability, whether it's my time or my stimulus check. Like it, it doesn't make sense at this point in time to hoard money mm, mm-hmm. when money is what begins to solve the problem once the virus spread slows. Yeah, I love that you said that too, because I think that that's what people's instinct is because we're scared. So we're like, well, well, all the money I have, I need to, I need to save. And, and you, you think you work so hard to build your emergency fund and have that cushion in your savings account outside of all your investments or whatever. And you're like, but I don't want to spend it. It's the emergency money, but it's an emergency. So it is time to spend it. Yeah, you think about how frustrated you get when you get a flat tire or a speeding ticket or something like that, and you have to use money out of your savings to pay for the, uh, you know, involuntary, unexpected expense. Yeah. This it truly is the biggest emergency of our lifetimes, yet there's this reluctance to use our emergency funds. Now, I do realize it's because of the concept of scarcity. People think, well, once that's gone, it's gone. Um, however, again, if you've got tens of thousands of dollars or a hundred thousands of dollars to your name, you can use that to create and maintain your stability. Cause I just don't think the economy is shut down for five years here. We're talking a mm-hmm. couple few months, uh, but people will be back to work and people will be back, uh, back in line from the match illustration we talked about earlier and things will continue that slow burn again. Um, I, I think the fear comes because people conflate the three main issues here and they they tie them all together and it's an unsolvable mess so the three issues are COVID-19 which I have no thoughts on because I just listen to scientists <laughs> uh, the stock market which just scares the heck out of everybody right I mean it's everyone thinks that's the problem and I'll talk about that in just a second but then the third problem is the economy which we've just spent a lot of time talking about why the market the stock market is swinging wildly is because the stock market is forward-looking Lindsay, what it's saying right now is when it goes up and down a thousand points a day, it's saying, okay, everybody, we, we clearly don't have a plan to have how this is all going to work out. And once we have a plan, the stock market will stop swinging wildly. The plan will go into place. And so if you think of it that way, every time you see the market freaking out, just think to yourself, okay, the stock market, which by the way, is sort of a living, breathing organism. It doesn't think we have a sustainable strategy going forward. The second it calms down means, okay, okay, here we go. Unfortunately, what people do is they see the stock market flip flip out and they say, well, I better sell all my things because I don't want my money to go down. That's an understandable reaction, but that's the wrong reaction. You're taking your money out of the stock market is like getting off a bus on a Greyhound journey because you start to smell exhaust and then you're like, well, I don't want the exhaust. And then the bus leaves you, right? Which is a really bigger problem. Um, if you get out of the market now and the market recovers like it will, you will get left behind and you will be much worse off than you'd be if you just stayed in the market. Okay. Okay. What does a bear market mean? A bear market means a period of time in which the stock market is going down. And and that's a great question because we're coming off of one of the longest, longest bull markets in history which is the opposite of a bear market. I don't know who in the heck came up with these things, Lindsay, but this <laughs> is the way it is. So since March of 2009, we've been in what's called a bull market, which is general upward movement 
of the market indexes. That that is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, when I was a when I was a kid learning this stuff, when I was in my teen years, um, the Chicago Bulls were a very good sports organization. So I used to remember it that way. Well, the Bulls are good, and the Bears actually sucked at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, Bears are bad. But now I don't <laughs> I don't know how I keep it straight, other than I know it. But we we are officially in what is called bear market territory, which is it looks like we're going to have some degree of a sustained decline. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it is always that way. The stock market has been through the Great Depression, several wars, September 11th, you know, all sorts of things, right? So it, it'll just take time, but we'll come back out of the bear market and head back into another bull market because that's the way it always does. How long does that usually take? It depends. Most bull, uh, pardon me, and see, look, look, look at this. Look, you're confusing genius. yourself. Dude. There you go. Oh. Gosh, we need like other terms, like <laughs> things that are scarier. Um, I think most bear markets tend tend to last less than a couple years, usually one and a half years, and then the economic recovery period and the market recovery period right after that, it's pretty swift, right? I mean, that's that's the crazy thing. To two thousand eight, two thousand nine scared the bejesus out of a lot of people, and it hurt a lot of people. Um, but the recovery for most people happened relatively smoothly and and quick. Now, this gets back to our earlier topic, but then it starts to get complicated. The people who did not pull out of that tailspin in 2008, 2009, I would argue that's how the gig economy got created. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. I was I was thinking about that because what does, you know, 2008 and then this happening now, relatively close together, I guess, gosh, I guess it's 12 years, right? Yeah. Um, but for a young professional, you know, myself included, people that were freshly out of college around that time, 2008, just getting their career started, and then maybe now we're in that place where we're doing okay, feeling good about everything, but like having both of those recessions so relatively close together, what do you think the long-term effects could be? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think it has to do with our changing perspective, maturity, wisdom, and priorities as we age, right? So mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, um, my daughter was born on March 12th, our first child of 2009. So we, we literally had our daughter. And by we, I mean my wife and I was there. <laughs> and, and, you know, anyway, she I did was the there. work. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'll just say this. I slept on the couch that night <laughs> and it was a very uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> but we uh, she was born at the recovery. Right. And so all the thoughts I had while the bad things were happening were that of a person who had no kids. Mm-hmm. And that um, and I think that's what's different here is that, Lindsay, I know your situation. I know you now have several children, right? And it's so it's like, well, you think differently than you did in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Your reality is different, uh, both from a maturity and wisdom standpoint, but what you are looking to take care of. Um, you know, as people sit at home right now and in shelter in place or whatever we're calling it, some people are doing this with kids that they're trying to school at the same time. And others are just watching Netflix and hanging out. And and that's not to say that people watching Netflix and hanging out are bad. It's just that they're experiencing this in a different way because of life experience. And so that's that's the impact of this, right? It may not be the best answer to your question, but the impact of this is we're all looking at this through our own lens. 
And, and so it's that lens that makes this challenging. It's the single parent who lost their income and then has to homeschool their kids and the fear of all this. That That's the scary part. It's not, you know, double income household, you know, working from home like they always do and then schooling their kids. I mean, that's tough for them, but it's just not the same thing. Yeah, I can't imagine being a single parent right now for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons even non, not even talking about finances is just I can't imagine being cooped up in the house all day, trying to work, trying to school your kids, but also like not having adult interaction, right? Like I have my husband to talk to right now. You have your wife. So we're we're home stuck in the house with our kids, but not having that adult interaction has to be so incredibly hard. That's just incredibly astute because as I've been talking to hospitality workers who are now at home with no income, I've had numerous people talk to me on the phone and say, it's just good to talk to another adult right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and it's, and man, I, I think it's just so easy to feel lonely and feel separated from each other. And it's like a great irony. And I, I, le- I hope someday we can look back on this and really understand that the way we solve a problem that involves us all being apart is to come together. And I know that's really cheesy and I know it's going to be an after school special someday, but it reminds me of that scene at the end of elf when they have to sing to get Christmas cheer, to fill Santa's sleigh, to get it off the ground. You know that scene? Yes. This is is the time where the podcast would have gone off the rails. If you would have said, I've never seen elf. Uh, But, but I feel like we're at that point where it literally is going to take everyone coming together in commonality to solve this. And unfortunately, one of the challenges with that is just the divisive political climate that we've been, you know, experiencing for the last 15 years or so makes that challenging. We, we, we've started saying we don't like each other for sort of weird and trivial reasons. And so I think we're going to have to get over that to come together to solve this problem. Yeah. Okay. I have some listener questions. Okay. Uh, that I want to make sure we get to here. Let me see here. I was going to write them all down. And then I realized just opening Instagram would be just as fast. Much um, easier. Yes, much easier. Let's see here. Sandy is the cutest. That's not the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> the number one question I've received is something we kind of covered, but we didn't expand on it too much, is is now a good time to invest or should we should we wait? And I don't know if you could expand on that any further. Yeah, I can a bit. Really, it, again, it's there's oh, there's two levers to be able to answer that question. If you have income and employment stability, and if you have an emergency fund, yes, now's a great time to invest. Which, you know, it gets weird. It's like, well, are we being opportunistic or are we just thinking of ourselves? It goes back into that survivor's guilt thing, you know. Um, but if you don't have employment stability and you don't have three to six months set aside, investing right now would would be foolish. And um, what we're going to have to deal with here as an instant gratification society is that there are no instant solutions. There is not that dopamine hit of instant accomplishment through this thing. It needs to be a long sustained effort. And so if you're thinking about this of, well, how can I flip the situation and get rich off of it, which I'm saying it that way, but people think that in some capacity, um, you're missing the boat. Again, unless you have that stability. But if if you don't have the stability, it's a foolish uh, venture. Okay, I'm going to read this question verbatim. This is from Marissa. 
My retirement accounts are all invested in the stock market. Is it likely to recover over time to previous levels or was it overvalued before? Thanks. Great question. It may have been overvalued before, but it will absolutely return to current levels and, and beyond. Um, there's a statistic that I used to deal with on a pretty regular basis, and I think it started around 2010. I think there were nine declines in the stock market at year end, meaning the stock market ended down nine times dating back to the 1970s. So again, this was mid-2000s. And every time it ended down for a year, it was back to pre-fall levels within five years, right? So that's to say, let's, I'm making them some things up. Let's say it fell in 1999. It was at 1,000 and it fell to 800. It was back up to 1,000 or higher um, within five years. And again, if, if you're a working person and not retiring in the next 10 years, great. Let's stay in. That's that's what I'm doing. I, I you know, I'm an expert at this. I used to manage $100 million of people's money. I have not touched a single investment right now. Not only am I not trying to get rich by getting cute and making moves, I'm just leaving it alone because that's how this works. Okay. I think that's definitely really helpful. Um, here's another question from Britt. For those of us attending school this year, given that liquidating any sort of investment unwise right now, what's the next best option for paying for school? Student loan? Any other kind of loan? Tapping into our savings? Thanks. You know, uh, I'm not a huge fan of student loans, but I get it. you got to do what you got to do. And, and I don't mean to say that in the sense of something's wrong with you if you're using student loans. The key is always to use as little student loans as possible. If you can't have the normal college experience because you have to borrow a lot of money, then don't have the normal college experience. You, it has to be lesser than that. I think some of people's instability that we're dealing with right now, and I'm not blaming the victim, is that we, you know, when faced with no money to pay for college, we chose to have the normal college experience anyway, which means spring break, travel abroad, live in an apartment, go out and hang out, have a good time. And so we did that with borrowed money, which exacerbated the problem we're dealing with right now. Long answer to a very short and concise question is, I'd actually use student loans uh, to fund it. I would not go down on cash right now. If you happen to have cash reserves and you're going to have to make a big purchase, ideally you um, can leverage debt to do that, which is counterintuitive to everything I ever talk about. But again, cash is king right now. You want to hold on to cash. We call it dry powder in the financial industry. It allows you uh, to take action for real emergencies. Okay, now this next question comes from Jen and it's it's along those lines and I think she means like she might mean like having actual cash on hand in her in her home. I'm going to read it to you and you can um, you can decide on exactly what she means. Is there a certain amount of cash that I should have on hand? I haven't used cash to pay for anything in years, but now it seems like everyone is getting cash and I'm not sure why I would suddenly need it and if I do need it, how much? I love that question because that's one of the most common questions I've been getting. Should we go get a couple thousand, hundred dollars in cash out of our ATM and put it in our house in case of an emergency? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, that is total personal preference. If you sleep better at night because you have $2,000 in paper currency in your house, then by God, do it, right? I'm I'm not going to adopt that method right now. I, I don't see the point. I feel like our banking system and our tech grid is all up to speed. So the way people digitally bank will be fine. Um, 
but look, I don't think you're silly or stupid or foolish if you go take physical cash. Um, it's just not the choice for me. Okay. This comes from Glenn Hine. <laughs> Do you think the government will raise the 401k limit to encourage investing in less panic? First off, uh, I just, it's worth noting, I'm a big fan of Glenn Hine. <laughs> uh, n- number two, no, I don't, I don't think that that's what will happen. The government is not going to do anything to encourage investing. They're going to do everything to encourage spending, right? So if they have efforts, it is, in my opinion, they're not going to use those efforts to say, hey, save more money and take it out of the economy. They're going to say, no, spend money, right? That's the point of stimulus. Uh, I don't know if this is a word, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, to increase the 401k limit right now would be a de-stimulant. Is that a word? Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to Google that later. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a word. D- I think it might. I th- I, I'm known for making up words, so I okay. would just roll with it. I like it. Okay, what's the effect on the Federal Reserve cutting rates? What does that mean for the average person? Okay, I love this question because people love to get mad about this when they don't understand it. It's one of those classic things. So to cut the rate means to... Uh, make it easier for banks to create liquidity, right? So that is to say banks will be more apt to loan people money. And that is important because that can save jobs. I am an employer of uh, roughly 16 people. And if times got really tough and I could go to my bank and get a credit line, a short-term loan that would allow me to keep everyone employed so I can get to the other side of this, I would do that. And I think a lot of employers would do that. But if I get in that situation and I'm not able to obtain credit, obtain borrowed money, then I have to let people go. So lowering the Fed rate is meant to, uh, well, there's a couple of things. Lowering the Fed rate is meant to stimulate people's interest in the stock market. But it is also usually paired with, you know, you hear the, the Treasury pumped $800 billion into the economy. What that means is they bought Treasury bills. And then those treasury bills provide liquidity. But we have crossed the Rubicon into very complicated explanations. And I'm very sorry. Some things cannot be simplified uh, with witty metaphors. And this is one of them. Okay. What are some of the things, like what are the most common questions you're getting? Are you just getting flooded on your Facebook and your Twitter and your Instagram? Yeah. Uh, it's it's different for everybody, right? Um, you know, I grew up in the plumbing business. We had a family plumbing business when I was a kid. And I remember when I was six years old, we had like a hundred year flood. And my dad had me answering the phones at the family business as a six year old, putting people on hold. And, you know, when there's floods, people's basements flood and these, these sorts of things. And I, I, I remember this clear as day. And I said, dad, what are, why are we doing this? Like we've been here all day and night. Mm. It's like, because this is what we do right now. Mm. And, And I feel like for me, you know, there's a lot of financial sump pumps that need to be replaced right now. So it's not easy. But what else are you going to do? It's what you do. I love that you are answering phones at six. Uh, makes me think I'm definitely not working my seven-year-old as hard as I could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, he definitely could use a little more responsibility. Um, but I can't keep up with your Twitter feed. I was trying to read through your tweets you were shooting out, and I was like, I can't do it. It's 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 so much information. Um, what is your biggest message to people right now? I mean, I want to, I want people to 
listen to this episode and walk away feeling like it's going to be okay. Yeah, no, I, I want them to feel that way too. So I'll make this as succinct as possible. Let's start with the three problems. Number one, listen to scientists and no one else. <laughs> Number two, um, when it comes to the market, don't pull out uh, unless you're within 10 years of retirement and then you need to talk to your investment advisor. And number three, if you have stability and you have income stability and we get a stimulus package, pump it efficiently and immediately back into the economy. And what I'm trying to figure out over the next few days are what are those ideas? What does that mean, Lindsay? What does it mean to efficiently and uh, robustly pump money into the economy? What does that mean? Because if I just go buy a pizza, does that matter? Mm. I mean, is that the best use if I order a new lawn chair because I want to sit outside and get vitamin D off of Amazon. Does that actually matter? And so I guess what me and some other finance people are trying to come up with in the next week or so is what does that actually mean? And honestly, right now, I don't have a good answer. I mean, we're in the middle of a kitchen remodel. Great timing, right? And I'm like, I feel like I'm really invested in the economy right now. I'm buying lots of appliances and things like that. Um, but yeah, I was thinking that too, because it's like, what does that mean? Like I could spend that thousand dollars on anything. Really, I've got no problem spending it. I've got lots of things that I could think of to buy for a thousand dollars. But what is going to be the best way to spend it? So you're going to come up with this for us? Well, I'm going to try. I mean, it's it's some crazy ideas. It's like, let's say you need some electrical work done and there's a one man electrical shop. Right. Hire the dude to come out and do the work like that to me makes more sense than buying a, a car or buying some consumable good, right, that you don't need. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. You, you've now stepped inside the sausage factory as I try to figure this thing out. Okay. So, but my initial, my initial uh, feelings is that you are leaning towards spending it on people who are providing a service, not necessarily a good. I think so because then the cost of the good or service is lower so they have a bigger margin. Okay. Does that make sense? Like if I buy a pizza from my pizza place and they charge me $12, you know, they may have $4 into the pizza in terms of the cost and so there's only $8 of margin. If I hire a guy to do electrical work, maybe he's got a, you know, an 80% margin. So more money is it's purer money pumps into the economy as opposed to what it cost him to personally fix your stuff. I don't know if I explained that well, and I'm going to go with probably not. Okay. I have one more question before we do the end of the podcast questions. And then also, um, I want to give you the opportunity to share where we can find you and share a little bit about what you're doing with Hey Money and all the great stuff you're doing to educate all of us. I heard on your most recent podcast, you and Damon, is it Damon or Damien? Damien. Okay. I heard you and Damien talking about people that are about to retire or just retired. And I know that my father-in-law has big plans to retire in December. So I'm just curious if you can briefly give your thoughts on someone who might be planning to retire this year with what's going on now. Well, you might have more time to purchase him a retirement gift now. <laughs> I, I don't have, no, I, I look, I, I'll, I'll just... I don't I'm not I don't have time for the candy coating these days. Uh, it is very unlikely that someone who planned on retiring this year will be able to retire unless a significant portion of their retirement income will come in the form of a pension. Okay. And then even then, 
even then that's an issue because pension funds are suffering too. So, you know, if, if you got a pension, which very, you know, 10% of the population is going to have a pension, it's very low. And they said, Oh, we're gonna give you $6,500 a month. And that's what's going to happen in December. That number may change to $5,400 a month come December. So I think people who have not yet retired, who planned on retiring the next couple of years, 100% are getting their retirement moved back. But I don't think that's that bad of a problem compared to the people who retired in the last six to 12 months who are now sitting here mm. uh, spending down their retirement nest egg as those underlying assets dive in the market. That's a much bigger problem. Yeah, because they're done. They're, they're, not, they're already done. <laughs> yeah, they already turned off the faucet of income. It's hard to turn it back on. Okay. I'm going to so bring... many plumbing metaphors. All the plumbing metaphors <laughs> really speak to what I do. Your childhood is being brought back into this. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm so curious now to ask him what what he's planning to do. He's going to be 70 um, in January, and he's in good health though. So good. That's good. Okay, Pete, tell us where we can find more information about what you're sharing and all the things that you have to offer in case people listen to this and they loved you and they want more. If people want to mainline it into their veins, yes. uh, I recommend going to uh, the Pete the Planner Twitter feed at Pete the Planner. If you like listening to my sultry voice, I recommend going to the Pete the Planner podcast. And if you want help, like legitimately want someone to walk you through this, go to uh, callheymoney.com. So that's callheymoney.com. Dot com will match you up with a financial expert. It costs $20 a month. We tried to make it as reasonable as possible and help you make some of these tough decisions that are ahead. I think that that is just brilliant. $20 a month. What does that exactly get you for $20? Like how frequently can you talk to the person? Is it once a month? Can I have a little bit more detail on that? Sure. You can talk to them as much as you want. Frankly, you can shoot them an email. You get an app with it. So you actually just text them and they'll text you right back or Maybe schedule a 30-minute call. And um, we like to say not everyone has a flat tire at the same time. So the reality is you probably won't have monthly calls. You'll talk four to six times a year. You will have paid roughly $200, and you will be much better off for that. But there'll be times when you're heading to the, you know, when people used to buy cars, you'd be heading to the car lot, and you want to know what you can afford. You could simply call us on the way or text us on the way, and we would give you a budget as opposed to letting the old uh, – Use car sales manager to tell you what your budget is. Okay. I mean, it sounds totally worth it to me. Um, all right, Pete. Thanks for doing this. Let me ask you a couple into the podcast questions. All right. Who is someone doing good in the world, illuminating the world around them that you would like to highlight? It's a good question. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of people doing really good work. And I, I think in light of what we're going through, I think Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is, uh, you know, the foremost expert in the world on, on communicable diseases is out there trying to save us all. So, I mean, I, I think the world of that guy, he's what, 79 or something like that, 79 years old and runs three and a half miles a day, which you could talk about that on your other podcast. Maybe he'll be a guest. I'm sure he's not busy right now. No, he's not busy at all. <laughs> uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? That's a good question. You know, I, I always think about Shoe Dog because it's my favorite book ever. It's the story of Nike uh, from Phil Knight's perspective. He he wrote the book, and um, it's not only one of the best books I've ever read. It's one of the best business books I've ever read. I feel like I was better off having read that book. It's a really good book. I too have read it. Highly recommend. Uh, definitely good for someone who is like hustling to start their own 
career path or entrepreneurship, it, it makes you realize like how much harder you could probably work, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, th this is going to be an interesting time. If you start to think about what does the rebuild look like? What, you know, what does the rebuild of New Orleans look like post Katrina, right? What, what will the rebuild look like? And, and where can you serve your community and make a living doing so? I think those sort of hustle uh, narratives are still very useful. Okay, Pete, what's your one message to send to the world? Look out for each other. All right, friends, thanks so much for tuning in today. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Pete, for coming on the show. Make sure you all follow Pete on social media. You can find him on Twitter, Pete the Planner. And you can also find him on Instagram, Pete the Planner. You can find us on Instagram. We are the Illuminate Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook as well, the Illuminate Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please consider leaving a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on and take a screenshot, share it with a friend, let people know that Pete has good information to share on this episode. Let Pete know that you listened and enjoyed the conversation as well. All right. I hope you're having a really great day and we'll see you next week on the Illuminate Podcast.